Welcome to the Performance Connection Podcast, the show where we connect you to the highest quality information and leading professionals in the world of human performance. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Performance Connection Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Lauren Conlin. Lauren, how are you? Good. How are you? Thank you for having me on. Yes, absolutely. Great to have you on. Great to, to connect with you and uh, definitely excited for today's topic. And uh, I think you're going to share a lot of great information that people can take away from this. So before we get there, why don't you go ahead and tell the listeners who you are, what you've done educationally and professionally, and what you're doing today? All right. So quick little intro. I've been in the fitness space for the past 13 years or so. I have my bachelor's and master's in exercise science, did my research on how different types of dieting affect weight loss and weight regain. I started competing in the NPC in 2011 and then turned pro in 2014, competed a few years as an IFPB pro. And I started officially, I was working in the fitness industry for a few years and then officially started my online business in 2013. So I've been online coaching for the past 13 years. And I would say that's primarily my job is coaching and educating. I recently started a mentorship. I've been work with different companies, educate within there as well. And then I travel and speak at events or on podcasts. So mostly just coach and yeah. educator is what I would say through and through. That's what I am. And a semi-retired athlete. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's, that's kind of the quick synopsis. <laughs> that, that is a very quick analysis. Wow, that's impressive. I wasn't like, okay, normal I you know, people just people drag on you're like, hey, so who are you? And then it's like this whole thing. You're like, when I was a child, oh my God. So I know that not everybody probably wants yeah. to hear all that. So yeah, <laughs> <for> sure. <laughs> So um I do want to ask about your sub part of your education. Did you work under Bill Campbell? Was that where you got your master's well, through? That's okay. my master's. Yes. So Dr. Campbell is still a great friend and mentor to me. He was honestly one of the most influential people in my life. So grateful for him. But yeah, back in 2013, I was still an undergrad and I had gone into the program. I think it was 2014. But in any case, around then, there was only really a handful of girls. It's so crazy to think now, mm. but 10 years ago, not as many women were strength training, just like in a general sense, yeah, especially sure. in college campuses, right? And there was only really a few girls at the gym. And he's like, yeah, I want to do female physique research. And I'm like, sorry, Nuts, but I'm like, okay, yeah, count me in. Sounds cool. Yeah. <laughs> Which hilarious. Like, didn't even end up doing that. We did a completely different study, but it was just, I always just loved his vision and his dedication. And I mean, even to this day, like they've done so much just like female specific research, which is mm. just not as popular in the field. Sure. So he's just a really great just mentor. So, so thankful to have worked uh, with him and still keep in contact with him. Yeah, now. absolutely. So what did, what did you find through your research project you did? Yeah. So we looked at, like I mentioned, how different types of dieting affect weight loss and weight regain. So essentially we did a head to head study design where we took participants either through a dieting phase using an IFYM approach, so tracking macros, or eating off of a meal plan. And I wanted to assess how during a diet and after a diet that was going to affect fat loss or in the, the post-period potentially fat gain. We also looked at different psychological measures as well using some analysis, like some tests. And so what was really cool is that pretty much throughout the diet, we didn't really see any statistically different changes across yeah. all the metrics. I mean, we did all the different body composition metrics in terms of course weight, but body fat, fat-free mass, um, using two different types of measurements. We we also did their RMR, and then we did take salivary leptin, which did not work. So, so pass that yeah. the money on that and spend this too, but then nothing happened. That was awesome, <laughs> but we tried. Uh, salivary cortisol, great. Salivary leptin, not so much. I wish they would have told us that before we purchased it. Yeah. All good. Like, oh, by the way. <laughs> yeah, by the way, this actually sucked. Okay. <laughs> and then, like I mentioned, we, we used a, it was called the three-factor eating questionnaire for anybody who's listening who's familiar. So we got to look at through a diet, how they were responding there. No real statistical differences between the groups. And then in the post-diet period, the only fact the only aspect that stood out statistically significantly was 
there was an increase in fat-free mass in the flexible group, so in the tracking macros group in the post-diet period. And we kind of tried to tease out all these different reasons, mechanisms, and I kind of left it as like, all right, this might have just been a freak finding. I don't think somebody could replicate this necessarily. Um, and I'm just happy to show pretty much that there were positive and negatives for both groups, right? Like, like you could essentially do either. And I, as the lead researcher, was talking to all the participants. So I got sure. to see how for everybody, depending on where they were, and again, this is like using a coach's brain, depending on where they were in their journey, if they had been tracking macros, if they were in the macro group, they were fine because this was randomized, of course. So they didn't get to choose who group yeah. they wanted to be in because that biased the results. So people who had tracked before, they were fine in the tracking group. People who had tracked before who were put in the meal plan group were kind of like, eh, I don't really want to do this, but I will. And then people who had never tracked before who were put in the tracking group were like, what is this? Yeah. And then well, who didn't have any structure who were put in the meal plan group were like, this is rad. So it was really, it really just spoke to the human experience in terms of where the client or at that point, the participant yep. was. I've been able to overlay, okay, this really matters. Where the client is in their journey, it, it, the one method is not necessarily better than the other. And that sounds so simplistic, but it was started this research, the inception was in 2014, and then we executed this in 2015. And and I always try to explain to people, like, that was the heyday for IFYM. Like, that was when the movement was really taking off, really being championed. And it was kind of looked at as if you didn't do that, that you were unscientific. Because, of course, using more numbers and tracking and data, like, that's more scientific. But as we know, human beings are not just lab rats. Right. right? <laughs> Some people are. But oftentimes what happens is the... What happened was there was this very interesting like intersection of science-minded individuals or just scientists in general and bodybuilders kind of coming together. Yep. And then that kind of started to overlay on top of everybody. Hmm. And if you take two groups, scientists who are very data numbers-driven people, as well as athletes, in particular bodybuilders who are numbers and data-driven, and you put them together... And then you try to overlay that onto the general population, it's kind of, it, it doesn't necessarily pan out as well, right? This is not to say that people can't track macros if they're not scientists or bodybuilders. Of course, we know that's not true. But the implementation of it is probably going to look a little bit different. So I learned so much from that. And I was so grateful that Dr. Kimball essentially like, let me do whatever I wanted and said, yeah, yeah. this is a great design. Let's go for it. Um, and yeah, the post-diet period was interesting because... I really wanted to the best of our ability mimic what happens after a diet, which is, okay, just come back for testing, do whatever you want, right? Yep. Now, of course, there's a lot of things that are not, like I wasn't going to be able to replicate a prep, right? This was a 10-week diet on a 25% caloric reduction. It's not like these people were, you know, in the Minnesota star deprivation experiment. <laughs> yep. like nobody was, oh, I did a 10-week diet. Okay. And even as a coach, I probably wouldn't even prescribe only a 10-week diet for, for most people. So, but thinking in terms of school, it's really hard in terms of resources to have anybody be there for that period of time. We didn't have funding to pay people. So like getting people to even come in, like, please do this. There's a lot of limitations for research yeah. that some people will forget. And even just as just as a student, like doing a 22 week study is still is still really long. So ideally, of course, like we would love people to like be in these multi year studies. But those types of studies, anytime you read that stuff, it's those are very hands off and they're more observational. Probably. Yep. So the 10 week diet by no means was I thinking going to cause any psychological harm that, or metabolic. Yeah, harm. that's pretty but, long, though, too. I mean, I think 10 weeks. I mean, I think about most like what, six to eight. That's your yeah. goal, yeah. yeah. I guess it depends, right? Because you talk to a bodybuilder, like, yeah, but for eight months, okay. You know, but... I, yeah, from a research perspective, I guess, yeah. Yeah, from everybody's view on that is different. But the post I really, like I said, wanted to mimic to the best of our ability that period. And I think it did a great job because it was interesting to see everybody had a different response. People yeah. were like, yeah, one plan I was doing was great. I just kept on it. Yeah. And then other people were like, nope. We're done with this. You know, so it was very, it was very unique. But again, it spoke to most people's experiences. Yeah. And I would say that the main difference, while we saw that statistically significant finding, I mean, we looked at everything. We went back and redid the numbers on 
because we didn't control their training, which actually, like at first I was like, oh, well, that would have been a limitation, but it also would have been a limitation had we done that because no matter if we didn't control it, then we are going off of them. Hey, please continue to do everything the same. And we're we're hoping that they are. We're hoping that they're reporting accurately. But then if we had done a training intervention or a cardio intervention, that still would have been a change because nobody would have been doing the same thing. So it's sometimes like there's always going to be a catch yeah, with, absolutely. with, yeah, with yeah. variables. So we didn't control that, but we were tracking minutes. So we just had basically give us a yeah. rough estimates of minutes. So and then give us diet logs afterwards, again, rough diet logs. So when we looked at it from our numbers, like just against statistically significant perspective, there was no differences between time spent in resistance training, time spent in cardiovascular training, total protein, calories. So when you really look at the numbers, there were some differences. And we just were like scratching our heads over this. And I finally was like, whatever. To me, it looked like a win. Okay, kind of do it, whatever you want. But then years like I even actually consulted Eric Helms on this. Oh, sure. I was like, listen, what are you thinking? And he's like, maybe the stress response. And I'm like, yeah, I don't. We kind of were all just like shaking our heads. We can't really figure it out. But then he wrote about the study in Mast. Oh, cool. I don't know when. I can't remember when. But he actually wrote a really interesting, he had an interesting hypothesis, it was basically the people who were in the tracking macros group, whether they had ever tracked before or not, now had 10 weeks of exposure to tracking and better recall. So when they were giving the recall in the post-diet period, they were probably more accurate in a representation versus the people in the meal plan group who were then doing a recall who didn't have that same skill level. Yep. So they're... Basically, their understanding of what they were eating and like their reporting was probably different, which is why we most likely saw those differences. So, yeah, again, that's one of those interesting things that just comes down to looking at the study design and looking at people's knowledge levels and all that in terms of the method that you're using. So ultimately, the short version of that is, is I think everybody, there's a, a plethora of different options that we can use to achieve changes with individuals. But even since then, I've been looking at weight regain as the most important marker, essentially, like how can we minimize this has been important my whole career. And it's still one of those just, it's not elusive, but it's certainly the biggest challenge I think that yeah. we're still facing. A hundred percent. Absolutely. And um, yeah, a couple, couple things there. So first, I'm really glad you mentioned Eric because at the time of this recording, he was last week's episode. Oh, okay. so, Yeah, and he's so the if- lover. Yes. And so if you haven't, uh, you know, if you're listening to this, haven't checked out Eric's episode, go check that out. Although we talked about hypertrophy, we didn't necessarily talk about diet, but we mentioned mass. Um, mm-hmm. I also have Garrett Surd, who is a dietitian we had on way at the beginning, who talked about this regain aspect that, that Lord is referencing and how it is the most critical aspect. It's the aspect that people struggle with the most. And it's, I mean, largely is not explored in the research much at all, which is really impressive about your study too. Yeah, which is actually, so So I came at it from the lens of, all right, I've been competing, which is obviously the most extreme yep. version of all of this, right? So I've been competing. I've seen my own cycles of regain. I've been coaching. I've seen people have these cycles of regain. And we just know the classic, you know, yo-yo example. This is just pervasive throughout culture, society, et cetera. So I was like, well, let me just look into this. What could we like, could how we diet affect this? Is there a way? And so essentially a lot of what I was looking at was the weight regain literature. Mostly a lot of times mechanistically is done in animal models just because it's really hard. One, as we've already just discussed, to control individual, like human studies are really hard to do in terms of diet because of so many confounding factors. There are like, unless you put somebody in a metabolic ward, which is still not even their norm, right? Yeah. But you'd have to have, you have to have tons of money to do that and tons of resources. And it's not even replicating someone's regular life, right? Because putting someone in a room and saying, you're only allowed to eat this does not replicate their real life whatsoever. So the biology aspect of it, or really the physiology aspect of it, metabolically and all that, that's not really the issue. The issue is the free living human with the confounding factors of everything else that's going on psychologically, socially, psychologically, yeah. all that. 
So I was looking at some of the weight regain literature in terms of a lot of the animal models, because again, that's really the best that we have. And then also looking in the eating behaviors, psychological literature, looking, starting to dig into the all or nothing type behaviors and like the rigid versus flexibility construct and all of that in terms of restraint. And so I was trying to basically merge all these worlds and like my like review of literature was like, here's all this stuff and I want to make a study. And the IRB was like, no, was, Campbell was like, you're the first person I've actually had that refuse. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and then we added it in and, it, and they finally accepted it. But yeah, it was just because it was just so I was taking from all yeah, this. It's so broad. Apps. Yeah. There's so many, so much overlap. Yeah. Really, like one of the best studies, which I'm sure Garrett, did you say his name was? Yep. I'm sure Garrett mentioned on here the Matador study, which is one of the most largely circulated studies in terms of of looking at weight regain. And that study was great because they were free living individuals, but they did provide them with the food in the study, which is huge. But again, you're still going off of, did they eat this? Did they not? They could have thrown it away and eat their own food, whatever it might be. But so, so... Really what this comes down to in terms of weight regain is, well, again, there's a lot of factors, but really in my estimation, working with for all these years, comes down to this rigid restraint that they're applying over their dieting behaviors and not just how they're choosing to eat food or not eat food, but really how they're viewing it. And when people are stuck in this constant perpetual diet cycle, this is what is happening. Oh, I need to be on a plan. I'm either on or I'm off these foods are acceptable or they're forbidden, all those things. And when you look at the eating behavior literature, what you often start to see is people who display more rigid restraint. And again, when we're talking about this research, this is by no means like a bodybuilding population. This is by no means even really an advanced dieting population. This is just people that they're finding for these re- this research. So yeah. not probably like the everybody listening here is more advanced than this. But so the level of impulsivity that one always sticks out to me from like a coaching perspective, right? There's higher rates of impulsivity around food when somebody has more of a rigid restraint mindset. And this is so characteristic of that, right? Oh, well, we just had at the time of recording this, we just got past Thanksgiving for anybody who's listening to this from the States. So it's typically Thursdays, like this whole big day of eating. And then Thursday kind of just kind of for a lot of people can go into Sunday. Yep. <laughs> you know, like it's very normal for that to happen. And pretty much the last eight weeks of the year is just a really big excuse to just eat. Like there's just a ton of food centric yep. things. And yep. there's also this kind of pervasive mindset, like consciously or subconsciously, where it's like, well, the year is ending and I can just start again next year. Yep. And that's again, classic black and white mindset in terms of, of all this. So the impulsivity not being able to plan, not being able to moderate, that really is where we start to run into issues. Because in terms of weight regain, we're implying that someone has tried to be weight reduced or has lost weight, right? And then we they're, they're regaining it. Well, afterwards, like, of course, yes, there are physiological things that are happening, uh, metabolic things that are happening. But from a psychological perspective, it's so easy just to be like, oh, let me just go back and eat all the things. Let me go back to my old life or I'm done. Yep. Right. I checked this box. I did it. I hit my goal. I lost whatever. I'm in this new dress size. I went on this trip. Like you check these boxes. And then there's the the restraint that was being applied during the diet is now completely gone. Yep. And then that is still indicative of rigid restraint because then it's like I was doing all these things that were really hard during the diet. And then now I'm going to go completely off. Instead, it's like, could we moderate a little bit more during the diet? a little bit more flexible there with our approach. And then we can transition that to the next phase as well. That was a really roundabout way of bringing up some some of the weight regain stuff. But I could talk about, I mean, literally this is so important. Yeah. uh, Because it's, in my opinion, it's like one of the missing pieces. Yeah. And it's just the, it's like the place where everyone's going to, most people are going to get to. And I even mm-hmm. think about people who are just, they're not necessarily going for, like, they didn't maybe necessarily go through a weight loss phase or a fat loss phase, and they're not necessarily dealing with the re- weight regain. They're just trying to maintain, yeah, you know, not. throughout life. I just had my second child, and so my I'm trying to figure out, okay, I've had these dietary habits, or I've had kind of settled into a norm with my behaviors. 
Right. Now everything's changed. How am I going Perfect. to adapt to this? And how am I going to maintain the body composition that I want or whatever it may be going forward? And in our society, in America in particular, over time, it's just very normal that people weight or they, you know, the aging quality in America is not the greatest. So this has implications for that too. Oh, for sure. Yeah. This isn't even like, oh, you just did a diet and now you're going to hit a weight regain cycle. Like these things are pervasive yes. to your point through any life change, mm -hmm. any life stressor, whatever you might want to call it. And we're all dealing with those things in different capacities. Nobody is just like living in this bubble where everything is just like going along perfectly. There's always going to be something, whether it's like family, relationships, moving, job, like school, whatever it might be. Like a lot of us are dealing with multiple different things and a lot of different dynamics and change is really hard. And then especially when we are presented with change, that's when we really want to grip tightly to what worked before. So it's okay. What worked before? Okay, I can get really aggressive, but then oh, I can't really maintain this. Well, whatever. It, it really wasn't worth it anyway. And then you kind of just oscillate through these multiple different dimensions. And or you kind of just let little things slip here and there. And that's like the more insidious one is like, well, I just won't I won't train as much this week. And then which is fine. That happened. But then if you look up in six months and then you're like, oh, my gosh, like I haven't yes. trained at all. Or yes. I haven't done right. Like it's the little, oh, I can't get to meal prep this week. I'll just go do this. And then. Or, you know what, like, I haven't had Chick-fil-A in a while. That sounds really good. And then all of a sudden you like start to realize like I'm having Chick-fil-A twice a week now. And it starts to become like this small thing, which all these things in isolation are not the end of the world. But when they start to stack. Yes, 100%. <laughs> then it's, you can look in six months, you're like, I'm a different person with completely different habits. And then, of course, when you're talking about new parents, like the whole lack of sleep is, of course, feeling a whole different type of exhaustion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, and that, of course, is fueling choices as well. And so it's like this whole cycle. And that's really where we have to start to dial in, okay, what are the quality habits and behaviors that we can invest in on an almost, asterisk, daily basis? And how can I keep these checkpoints in place for myself so that I don't, in that hypothetical example, look up in six months and don't recognize myself? Because it's not even just about a physique thing. Yeah, And I think that that's really important to note because, yes, you can have physique goals for sure, not against those at all. Um, but that can't be the only driving factor. And what I think has started to happen, and a lot of this is a discourse through social media and things like that. And I love that we're moving away from like just physique goals, right? Like some people used to like, oh, I'm only going to diet because I hate myself or I want to look like this. I only want to have diet based, physique based changes. However, I think we've also we've gotten we've started to swing so far away from that that we've gotten into maybe habits and behaviors that are not serving us from like a health and longevity perspective. And then people start to just feel not great. And then they forget what it feels like to actually feel good. Right. And then that's when like other negative behaviors are happening. Yeah. And again, this is not a knock on any kind of behavior. Like you, you're not like a it's not bad to watch TV. It's not bad to like go enjoy alcohol. It's not bad to do any of these things. But it's like if you start replacing all of your good habits with these other yeah. negative habits. It's like everything is flip-flopping. And now, yes, maybe you don't have the physique that you want, but you also really don't feel good and you're setting yourself up to be in a more diseased state, which yeah. I think we can sometimes forget about when it's like not that close to us. Yep. And that's definitely an interesting shift that I've noticed. So I think it's a positive shift that we're not just focusing on physique as a, I feel like societally, like we are moving away from that, which is like awesome, but then it's not being replaced with the focus on necessarily with health, longevity, quality of life, etc. Yeah, absolutely. And also more people are in that type of situation where the physique is, I mean, it's maybe there, but it's not the main goal. It's, it's more from the perspective of, I want to feel better. Maybe longevity yeah. is more of the focus or maybe health is more of the focus. You know, this week's episode that just released with Anaja Newsom, we talked about just how society is set up for adopting more positive health behaviors and how it, it's kind of not set up for that. It seems like, especially oh, as yeah. life gets busier and as more things get on, put on our plates or the things are vying for our time, attention, resources, it becomes harder and harder to Number one, do the things we used to do. Because that's something that you said that, that kind of struck a chord with me instantly. 
because I, I guess I know what I worked for, and I'll just use myself as a personal example, but I know what worked before. Things mm-hmm. have changed. And mm-hmm. now I'm kind of going through, or there have almost been times of, I would say, frustration mm-hmm. of like, ah, oh, man, the, I can't do that anymore. And I'm kind of frustrated about it. And so now I have to, I'm almost like lamenting this old way that things used to be. Yeah. Uh, and now I've got to find a new way, which is fine, but there's this like transitional period. How have you helped people work through this? Like, how have you helped people and clients over the years work through trying to find like their new normal or trying to mm-hmm. work through these periods of change where either their situation changed or maybe what they were doing before was just no longer an option for whatever reason mm-hmm. it might be? Are there any like main things that you have done with people or any primary suggestions that you would give? Yeah. So I would say that's really like the death of your old self, right? And it's really, I think it's acknowledging it, which a lot of times we start to feel that frustration and that friction like you were talking about. And we just get upset at ourselves, but we don't actually accept that's no longer the reality. And this isn't something that's like minor oh, I had a really busy week, so I couldn't train this week. Oh, man, like this is, we're talking about major life changes. You know what I mean? Having a child, moving to a new city, starting a new job, getting married, like big things where like life is very different. It is no longer going to be the same. I think first just accepting that because you don't want to romanticize the past too much, but you also don't need to push it away, right? Like you don't need to be like, oh, well, my old self. You can be like, oh my gosh, reflect on those positive times. That was great. I loved this about my life. But I can love that about my life and also love these new things about my life, right? Because while there's a lot of stressors with having kids, you're also, you would probably say, my life is better because of this. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. there's certainly probably some mornings that you maybe wouldn't. I'm just kidding. Like, it's like, yeah, like, for sure. <laughs> catch me at like 3 a.m. when the baby's crying. Maybe not. But you know what I'm saying? There are so many more positive aspects. It doesn't mean that the other one was bad. But so I think we can reflect on those in a positive way, but we don't need to stay stuck there. And I do think that we have to recognize that this is no longer there. Like that chapter is closed. Because um, think about it. There's always that example of like people who are always only talking about their past, right? And there's a difference of reliving good memories and reliving past experiences versus mentally being stuck there and mentally being dissatisfied because you're no longer there. So I think that one, just acceptance of this whole this whole thing is, yeah, is really important. The new reality, um, yeah. I couldn't think of the, the word. I think acceptance is so important. And then, okay, now that I've accepted this is my new life, my new yeah. reality, my, my new situation, okay, what are some of the things from my old life that I can take that were useful? Okay, <laughs> this I can still do. This really helped me. This was good, but it's been really hard to do. Okay, how can I work that back in? And then, okay, what are some of the things that were not working? Okay, these are obviously no longer going to be an option. What can I do now that is going to set me up to get back to this place, whether it's mentally, physically, all of that? So it's just about taking really that honest inventory, and that's going to look different for everyone. So over time, my coaching style has really changed to before it was a lot more directive. And I think that's very common when people are, are first starting to coach. And to be fair, like there's still times where it's like, hey, I think this would be the best thing to do. Or, hey, we should do this. But there is also a, I just had a client today who I I asked her to do like an exercise, basically, hey, like, I need you to go through like these situations and I need you to reflect. And I gave her pointers in terms of this is our outcome. This is what information I need from you. But I need you to reflect on this and then share that back with me because I don't know this particular situation, right? Because this is you and your life. And she shared something with me. That she immediately, from what I said, hey, here's the end outcome that we want. She did something that I would have never in a million years thought of doing because that's not something that I would ever do. So I wouldn't need to take that away. Right. So like the other behaviors that like I maybe would have suggested may have been helpful, but that one was probably the most key one. Right. So now I my job as a coach is to help her see that, explore those things. And then, okay, let's take that away. Let me use that as a reminder. I can hold her accountable there. And then we can start to make adjustments moving forward. But it's so important for people whenever they're going through an experience to really have to do this work. And this is the hard part because it's so much easier to just say like, here, do this or don't do that. 
And I think that there are times where that's useful too, right? I don't think that every week needs to be like this two-hour reflective exercise where you're thinking about your inner child and crying and journaling. It doesn't be like life mm-hmm. comes hard and fast and not everybody has time for like I totally get that. Yes. Just don't want it to sound like it has to be like that either. But even in 10 minutes, right, you could probably write down, okay, five minutes on the left column of like things that like that could still work now that were really useful to me, things that aren't working now that I need to change. And then, okay, cool. Now I have that in front of me. Now I can start to implement and make one or two changes this week. Okay. And then I can see how those work. And that's really like, I try to adopt that scientific approach to clients because it's like, all right, let's try. Okay. Reflect, analyze, make one adjustment. Okay. How did it work? Did that help? That fix the problem? Cool. Okay. Now move on to something else. Did it not? Okay. Well, let's try this then. Then let's assess. Like you have to just constantly like test, assess, reflect, and it just takes time. But if we do that, then there's actually like a chance that you can maintain this for presumably the rest of your life um, or at least take those skills. You might not have the same routine or the, the same in five years. The things that are working and not working are going to look very different for you, of course. But you'll still have those skills that you can update those things a little bit easier. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So going off of that, do you find that clients are pretty good at coming up with their own solutions to some of these roadblocks they may be facing? Because, um, well, and it's funny you mentioned the whole like <laughs> two hour thing and talk to your inner child, because uh, in my episode with Gabrielle Fundero, mm-hmm. I was like, man, this is, do you find that clients, sometimes, do they get sick of reflection? Do they get sick mm-hmm. of constantly like really looking in in deep and she said the exact same thing it's not always like that and my background when it comes to consulting is more of that motivational interviewing-esque approach and there were times when I would be with people and I kind of got that sense of like did they just like uh were wondering why am I asking so many questions and can you just tell me what you want 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 me, me to do but I was always trying to get them to you know, can we come up, can you come up with a solution? I want to give you autonomy. I'm thinking long-term here, but then there, there are plenty of times where I'm thinking like, I don't know if they have any clue what to do here. And, so, and yeah. that's super fair. And that's where that's, I always say coaching is an art form, yeah. right? And it's about taking, and I purposely try to be as broad as possible on on podcasts and really just in general because I want people like a framework, right? Like sure. anytime I talk or something, I'm always like, I'm trying to give a framework so people can plug and play for themselves. But absolutely. And this is where that art form comes in, right? I would say there's two main scenarios. One, there is a client who, I have some clients who I could tell this exercise to and they'd come back with five different things. They're already reflecting. They're already doing all their stuff. Like they're, we're good to go. Like I'm there to be their accountability person. I'm there to help work through some of these roadblocks but like they have come to me ready and understanding of those things and they are they've basically tried everything they have a lot of knowledge but they're just hitting these roadblocks and they want to work through that so for those clients it's a little bit easier to navigate and there's also just personality types who enjoy those types of things like oh yeah that's me i have no problem getting super super deep about something and really digging i enjoy that but personalities like that can also kind of get lost in the sauce too, because then it's reality. Yeah. It's like, well, you know, like you just get yeah. the yeah. there and then 100%. you're like, what did you do? Um, you can just stay there. So it also, you know, sometimes requires either myself or other people mm, pull you out of that. So it's not good for anybody to stay there all the time, even if you enjoy it. But I would say that for certain clients who are coming to you, maybe they're more novice or maybe they just aren't necessarily, they're novice in that skill area or that arena, not necessarily that they're just novice overall, but that's where you have to be a little bit more, I think, directive. And it's okay. That's, that doesn't mean that you're a bad coach or they're bad, like bad client, like that there is different times. And there's also, there's just certain clients and, and you'll be able to pick up on this um, pretty quickly as a coach. Like some people are really wordy, very verbose, very good at explaining concepts. Other people it's like pulling teeth to get information mm. from them, yeah. right? And sometimes that is a, a, a byproduct of time, meaning like the longer you work with someone, the more comfortable they feel opening up. Sometimes not. You know, this is also a difference, just a personality types. It's a difference between working with men and women. Like I remember when I would first, some of my first male clients, I'd be like, is this it? Are they okay? 
hey and then i'm like oh okay yeah no this is just they're just like yeah good to go i'm like okay now again not For all sure. male clients are like that right yeah. and not all female clients are super wordy like it, it it is i have some female clients who it's just like straight to the point this yep. is that and like there's some clients where i'm like do they not do they not even like me and like i remember like like my one client she was always just yep to the like to the point and then i met she was fantastic like that, that's just how she communicates so for some people that it's going to be a personality type thing for some people it's going to be in uh you know their their knowledge and experience in that arena yeah. thing which can change over time so and then it's also contextual based on the season that someone's in right if someone is like drowning with life responsibilities and they are super overwhelmed with everything i'm not gonna be like hey and also take some time no i'm like hey here i think you should fix this week let's adjust this and they're like cool bam thanks done that made them net positively move forward and that's all i care about the end of the day so i think that it also depends on the season so some seasons we just need more direction than other seasons it's hey we i have the capacity right now to actually work through and process these things yeah that's really again where that art of coaching is going to come in and and that was a really great point though because it not everybody is in that space for a numerous reason and i think that it's important as a coach to recognize that and if you're just listening as an individual and you're not coaching anybody it's also important for you to recognize that you have seasons too there are some times where i'm like all right i'm gonna get deep like i this is the season for me to work on these things other times it's like this is not like all these other things are stacking up that are like real punch me in the face things right now that I got to deal with. This is taking priority. And that's when you have to constantly be updating things. And that is why having a coach, a mentor, accountability, whatever it might be, is so helpful because then it's, I can offload this necessarily. Someone else, they can give me a little direction. Wham, bam. Okay. Now let me keep moving. Yeah, absolutely. And you having a coach to help just take some of the cognitive load off of you or just not be so close to an issue and maybe they can look at it from a different perspective. But I think the whole concept of, you know, understanding, be okay with that things will change. And if you need to do something through a certain season or period of life that maybe previously you spoke out against or didn't think was okay, um, that's okay. <laughs> so I going all the way back to your research with the meal plan thing. Mm-hmm. So I used to, I think everyone probably was like this at some point where they kind of bash meal plans. Uh, I mean, I, I used to do it. So I was a dietetic intern at a D1 university. We gave meal plans, never got followed. Find them like littered in the trash all the time. And I'm like, why are we even doing this? I don't even know. And so I was kind of came out of grad school, very anti-meal plan, precision nutrition for a while was a little bit outspoken against meal plans and whatnot. So really adopted that approach of like more the hand system to determine portion sizes and things like that. And kind of also anti-tracking to a degree. But here's where I found myself a while back. I'm like, oh man, a meal plan would be great. (laughs) Where it's like, okay, I've tried tracking before, even with like my fitness pal, which is like one of the easiest Mm -hmm. things you, one of the easier apps I've found to track your macros. If it's more like, oh, I'm eating this, let me put this in so I know where I'm at with tracking. I'm terrible with it. I just, I don't know why. I just didn't, I've always been awful with it. But then for some reason, it never occurred to me, you know, I'm not a picky eater. I can eat almost anything. If I have a meal plan that says, hey, Corey, this is your, based on like your needs, your uh, macros, your macronutrient ratios, here's your meals and snacks for today. If, if you eat this, you will be within your limits or within your goals that you want to meet. And I kind of found myself thinking, oh my gosh, that sounds awesome. Um, and so I just was like, oh my goodness, here I am. For so long, I was kind of anti-meal plan, but there is a huge part of me that knows if I did this, I would adhere to it really well. Now, for me, a caveat is always, okay, what's my wife going to eat? What's my toddler going to (laughs) eat? It's other stuff. But but I was just, gosh, just, just because, you know, maybe something for didn't work for me or wasn't the right thing for me or 
whoever the client at at one point in time doesn't mean it's not going to be later. And that is, I think, a really important thing for not only us to understand individually, but for coaches to understand, like, use the tools that you've got. I mean, we obviously always want to still be long-term focused, right? I think that's always the fear with people, I guess, people like us who are, we're focused long-term. Yes, we want to get results, but it's not just about what's the period of time that someone's with us or what's the period of time that someone's with, we're working with somebody. We want them to be able to have long-term success. So I think if we're thinking like, oh gosh, if I get this person a meal plan, they're just going to gain the weight right back or they're just going to go back to their old habits. They're not going to develop those skills, but there are certainly times where that might be the best approach. For sure. And I want to highlight something from my research talking with Alfred because it it nails it perfectly. But I would just as a general concept, all methods work. And I think if we started to adopt that more within the coaching space, within the nutrition space, things would be so much better, right? There are, of course, you have to do certain things to get certain results. There's no two ways to cut it. You know what I mean? You can't always just have your cake and eat it too. You can't be like, I want to eat whatever I want and be super shredded with a six pack year round. That doesn't right like that's fantasy land mm-hmm. some people who are very genetically blessed we know them we hate them just kidding uh but that, that is the reality for some people but almost everybody else right this is not going to happen and that's okay right but i think we have to recognize that there are seasons for everything there are methods that can work for anyone in almost any capacity and if you are a coach listening i think it's really important to recognize that and start to be able to adjust and adopt things based on all that, because that is what we're dealing with in terms of coaching. If somebody wants to have just a program sent to them or use an app for something, then they can do that, right? If we're talking about coaching, then we have to be able to fit someone's different needs based on what they have going on, right? I know that doesn't mean that you can offer a service to every single type of person that's going to come to you. Not everyone is going to be your ideal client or want to work with you or your course, but most things work. So I would say that if we can start to adopt that, we would be a lot better off. <laughs> and one thing I learned from my research, and this was talking with someone who was put on the meal plan group and did exceptionally well with it. And again, I think that previously there was all of this, all this negative press around meal plans. Yeah. And because, like I said in the beginning, there was this strange intersection at one point in time with the scientists or science-minded people who were then also bodybuilders who then also were on social media and they were bringing in, and I, I was a part of this, like we were hearing the horror stories. Like I was competing in the days of people getting the, the meal plan that had two noodles on it and eat half a prune. And like, I mean, like that's where, that's where the horror stories are coming from. Yeah. Eating 600 calories for five months and doing two hours of cardio. Oh, wow. I wonder why you can't function on a meal plan but it doesn't necessarily mean that it was the meal plan it was the execution it was the communication between the coach and the athlete that can't be like overstated enough right oh you didn't hit your plan you're a failure like all of that stuff there was so much woven into what a meal plan looked like or represented at that point so when i had someone who was responding super well on the meal plan who lost a great amount of weight, got really healthy. Everything was great. I was like, oh my God, please tell me your variance. And mind you, it's, I'm I'm doing like body comp tests as I'm asking these questions. I'm just like, you know. And no, I could never pitch publish. you here. Oh, how'd it go? Yeah. How's it going? Well, this is fucking better. Um, you know, you can't publish this stuff. And I knew that, but I was just interested in it for myself because I'm just a curious person. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. I also knew I could use this, of course, for clients. And he was like, yeah, he's like, the meal plan is great. He was like, now, because after, this was the after part. And I was like, so have you still been following it? He's like, for some meals, I'll use it kind of for meals. He's like, but now I know, like, if I go and I get like a burrito, I know that I probably shouldn't get cheese and guacamole and sour cream all together. Maybe just one and add more veggies. And I was like, yes, exactly. So, and that sounds like, well, duh, but that's not, oh, duh, for for everybody, right? Who hasn't been through that experience. And tracking macros won't even necessarily teach you that either, right? It, just because someone tracks macros doesn't mean that they are learning those things either. Yeah. They're just learning quantities, not necessarily quality and, and all that. It, yeah. They can, but it's not always if this, then that. Yeah, kind of for sure. So for this individual, 
he was able to use the meal plan knowledge mm. and recognize, okay, the foods that I had on here, probably going to be healthier and better for me to overlay this to my next experiences even yeah. after this. And now, I don't know this guy, what he's doing now, if he's putting sour cream and guacamole in a burrito, but you know, it was like, it was just like the perfect representation of like, wow, this is exactly if we were able to make these small choices constantly and these small behaviors constantly. And that's a big thing that I talk about with for people too, like them stepping into that reality of becoming that person who is making those choices. Like I'm a person who makes the choices to say yes to these things, no to these things. And I believe that I can do this. And then I'm able to consistently take these actions because I actually believe that I am this person. Yeah, that's really interesting. And research is so funny with that because, um, you know, you read a research paper and I've done a little bit of animal research. And so I kind of get this, these little images in my head with when I read animals, like rodent studies of what did they have to do? What, what did they have to do to the rats? Like, oh, I bet that rat didn't like that. I bet that person got bit. Like, but with, yeah. with, with, uh, human research, with your research, some people on a meal plan that worked great for that jived with everything going on with them and who they were as a person. And you have others that were not. And it's just researchers. I feel like if they could talk about, or if they would, or if they had an outlet to talk about some of these experiences or these conversations they had with the participants, that'd be like, this probably is the case where that almost might be a nice like supplement. I know, you know, publication, yeah, no. right. You can't just publish anything well, you want, but, no, I just have so many gripes with academia because I feel like it is, it's so inefficient on virtually every level and it's so poor at disseminating information. And now I'm not saying that the whole point of science is to quantify things, right? Like numerically. I understand that. Right? I'm not trying to say that like science has to turn into a feelings fest because it's, that's also not necessarily accurate either. We have to be able to quantify things. And that is how we actually see on a large scale, are there changes that are happening? However, to your point, I think that there are so many little gems that we're not able to publish because it doesn't fit within the current model. So it's, could there be a space, you know, could, could there be like a, a supplement, right? Or like an, a, a post follow-up something, I don't know, yeah. like, like a message, like literally something to where you could see more of this, these details because... Um, I feel like, and, and not every study would this be applicable, but no, for sure. I think there are some studies where it could be like, hey, this is, would be really helpful to have a little bit more background knowledge. And yes, these participants signed off for us to share these things. We asked them all the same, whatever it might be. So I think that it could be really valuable, but thankfully I would say that there are many more people who have way more schooling and way more publications than I do that are sharing more things, which is great due to the podcast space and, and whatever it might be. So I feel like it is getting out there. But yes, if you could read a paper and just be like, yeah, what was actually going on? <laughs> like the, the, obviously the published word salad of how you have to say things and yep. the, the final paper and you can, you know, it's just not as, it's not the full thing. No, <laughs> so. absolutely not. It just, it gets at some of the, there's the messiness of research and what we can so take messy. from it and and stuff like that so i just thought that was really funny or just it's a really it's a really cool aspect that you did that though i mean but you're a coach that that shows your bias that shows like where your head's at and how you want to use yeah. the information so before I, honestly i probably just would have done that i'm just i just love asking <laughs> with my career <laughs> yes um so before i wrap up today is there anything surrounding this topic, these themes that you really want to impart the listener with? Yeah. So, I mean, I hope that you guys can take, whether you are a coach or you're just, you're listening for yourself here or to share with anybody else in your life, like really one of the central themes is you are going to have to reflect and update. And like we talked about using that kind of method of reflect, analyze, update, make small changes to whatever is not working in your life. And then be able to come to a better conclusion and really just take an honest examination of what, whatever it is, right? I'm not saying like your whole life, right? Pick one topic and then start to go down the, the list, but pick one thing that you're currently struggling with where you're not necessarily happy with where you're at and start to pick it apart in that more scientific way. 
and then be able to say, oh, okay, because a lot of times when we are running into issues, we can feel like, oh my gosh, there's a hundred things that are wrong with me. I'm so far away from my goal. How am I ever going to fix this? How am I ever going to get there? And then when we really break it down, we're like, wait, this is like three things. And this is one of the things that I love about journaling, especially from a mental perspective. Oftentimes, especially people who are prone to overthinking and prone to being overwhelmed, we can just have all the like 10,000 thoughts swirling around. And then it's like when and it feels like this insurmountable mountain to climb to get over. But then in reality, yeah, OK, it's a few things that I can actually actively do. So if we are constantly looking at our life in that way, I think that we can systematize it a little bit better, but still not we're not robots. So we have to be open to, OK, did this work? Yes. Did it not? OK, what else can I tweak and what can I change? So it's about being systematic in a sense, but also being fluid enough and open enough to making those changes. And especially in the topic of whether it's nutrition, training, habits, mindset, whatever, like all this can be applied to any of those really in any capacity. Awesome. Well, Lauren, thank you so much for your time today. What do you have coming up? Anything that the listeners should be on the lookout for? Anything like that? Yeah, so I am going to be reopening my mentorship for a second round. And I believe I'm going to start, I don't know the exact date, but it'll be around February. So either beginning or, or mid-February. So if you're interested, it is called The Art and Science of Coaching. Yeah. <laughs> so we're going to be talking about some science, but a lot of the application and the really the art of it in terms of working with clients and something I wanted to do for a long time. And I feel like a lot of mentorships out there are very business focused, which is great. But I didn't really see a lot of coaching mentorships. So I really wanted to create something there. And, and we're just finishing up the first round. It's been awesome and very fulfilling. So awesome. I'm excited for that. So that'll be out soon. And yeah, that's really the biggest thing that's coming up. For uh, sure. In terms of on the horizon with yeah. work. And then, yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, of course, I will link to that in the show notes. And then okay. if other people want to connect with you just in general, would where yeah. would be the best place for them to go? Yeah. So my Instagram is at Lauren Conlon, L-A-U-R-I-N. <laughs> then you'll find it there. So probably link that one up too, just in case. And uh, we do have a podcast called The Logo Fit Show. So we have almost 300 episodes. We have more by the time that this recording goes out. For sure. And so tons of, of content on there from either myself, the coaches, interviews, or um, our team mental health counselor. And then just shoot me an email on our website. Everything is on there. You yeah. can send me an email also through my Everything's just neatly packaged on my Instagram aspects, like whatever the, that front page is. Profile, oh my God, they're all the things. Yeah. I definitely not have been born in this time era, but I'm here and I'm trying to make it through the internet world. So Yes, are, are we all? <laughs> I swear, I'm like, this is the... <laughs> I've been born like 60 years ago. <laughs> well, I will, I'm way cooler. <laughs> I will help where I can by putting everything yeah. is in the show notes. There That's we where go. you can find Lauren. All right. Awesome. Well, Lauren, thank you again so much for your time. Yes. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Performance Connection podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, please leave a review, share on social media, and on Instagram, tag at Performance Connection Podcast, all one word. The content of this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only. It is not intended to diagnose treat, or cure any medical condition. Thanks again, and I hope you'll keep listening or check out other episodes.